scriptures this morning. Today's primary text is found in the Gospel of Luke chapter 13. And we're also going to look at a parallel text or a balancing text found in Luke chapter 14. So in Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 17, Jesus heals this woman who'd been stooped over for 18 years. In Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6, Jesus heals this man who's dealing with an illness called dropsy. These parallels, so Luke generally will balance a story that involves a man with a story that involves a woman. And the parallels between these two stories are undeniable. When you look at, they both occurred on the Sabbath, as Melanie has shared with us. They both involve uh, controversy with the leadership and the Pharisees, the leadership in the synagogue and the Pharisees at this dinner party. They both report a pronouncement from Jesus and a healing of an illness. And they both involve Jesus inviting his opponents to consider what they would do for an animal versus what they should do for their fellow human beings. In both stories, we see Jesus welcoming people into community. We see Jesus not just welcoming anyone into community, we see him welcoming the outcast, the people that are generally marginalized to the, to the edges of our city, welcomed into the center of his story. In chapter 13, we see Jesus welcoming this woman into the center of the story. And in Jesus' time, women were generally marginalized and seen of as, as lesser in the community. And that was if they were able-bodied. This one was visibly disabled, and so she would have had multiple strikes against her, putting her on the outsides of the community. And then the man in chapter 14 is also visibly disabled, and so would have been pushed to the outskirts of the community. And although these two stories are unique in and of themselves, they represent a broad story of women in the history of the church and of the disability population in the church. Generally, people with disabilities, like I said, were ostracized to the edge of town because in Jesus' time, the culture was really concerned about the status that you had as an individual. The people that you associated with in community were indicative of your own status. And so wherever you'd go, you'd try to elevate your status by being around people of higher status than yourself. And so if you were seen in proximity to a person with a disability or an illness, it would naturally lower your status too. And so that's why generally they were pushed to the outsides of the community. Even in the church today, people living with disabilities are often uh, not always feeling the most welcome in our congregations. It's interesting that if People living with disabilities were seen as a minority group. They'd be the largest minority group in the United States, yet the church still uh, has yet to really respond across the board in welcoming and including the disability population. It's different. It's, it's one thing to have your building be ADA compliant, but the feeling of welcome and inclusion in the church is a totally different thing. Earlier this year, I was blessed to read an excellent book titled Disability and the Church, A Vision for Diversity and Inclusion, written by author and pastor Lamar Hardwick. Pastor Hardwick is also known as the Autism Pastor. He's the lead pastor uh, at Tri-Cities Church in East Point, Georgia. And he speaks in his book from his personal experience serving as a lead pastor as a man with autism. And he shares, a, it's an excellent resource for us as the church to grow in our welcoming, inclusive nature of being the church and really welcoming people. He talks about uh, a whole lot. I would highly recommend his book. But in Pastor Hardwick's book, 
He references the story from Luke chapter 14. That's kind of the story he uses throughout the book to illustrate the points of Jesus welcoming this man into the dinner party and healing him. I don't know about you, but my heart breaks when people don't feel like the church is a welcoming and inclusive place for them. My heart breaks when people don't feel welcomed and therefore they don't know the rich beauty of what a relationship with Jesus truly means. And my heart breaks when we don't always show up as the most welcoming ambassadors of Christ, welcoming people into our spaces. In 2 Corinthians, Paul reminds us that we are ambassadors of Christ. And so therefore, everything we do should be an effort to be an ambassador, to be a representation representing Christ and his good news to the community around us. As Christ followers, we know very well that Jesus invites us to love our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. I truly believe that's what we're called to do, and Jesus shows us in today's story what that looks like to fully welcome people into the community. We find ourselves in the Gospel of Luke, and as you've spent the last few months, I'm honored to close out your series on Luke. As you've spent the last few months walking through Luke's Gospel, you realize that Jesus really liked being in community. One of the reasons I really enjoy the Gospel of Luke is because most of those community engagements that Jesus is involved in involves table fellowship around a meal. If you read through the entirety of Luke, you find that most of the time Jesus is either going to a meal, he's at a meal, or he's coming from a meal. He understood the blessing that table fellowship was for reducing barriers and really building up the community and the kingdom of God. Today's texts are no exception. In chapter 13, Jesus finds himself teaching in community in the synagogue. And then chapter 14, he's at this prominent Pharisee's house for a dinner party. I'm going to read through both stories in their entirety. I invite you to turn in your Bibles or turn on your phones uh, to these two parallel stories. I want you to pay attention to the details that are shared and the similarities that exist between these two stories. Luke chapter 14, or sorry, Luke chapter 13, starting with verse 10. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues. And a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward. He said, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hand on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue leader said to the people, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord Jesus answered him, You hypocrite! Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie your oxen or your donkey from the stall and lead them out to give them water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has kept bound for eighteen long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And then in Luke chapter 14, verse, starting with verse 1. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being watched closely. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and the experts of the law, 
Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him, and Jesus sent him on his way. He then asked them, If one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. So Luke sets the scene for both of these stories very early in the first verse, giving us the context, giving the reader and the audience the who, what, where, when, and why of the story. From what we find in the first couple of verses, we know it's the Sabbath. And so Luke is drawing the readers in to experience or remember what they know about the Sabbath particularly. The Pharisees that were around him at this dinner party and and the, the synagogue leader likely had the Old Testament memorized, and so they had the laws of the Scripture memorized. And so they would have quickly recalled what it says in the book of Exodus. And you can even hear it in the, in the leader in the synagogue's response. It says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work. Neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servants, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the Sabbath day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. You see, throughout Scripture, throughout Jesus' life and ministry, there are numerous occasions where we see the leaders kind of setting up or orchestrating an event where Jesus would be called to act in what they considered work on the Sabbath. The Gospel of Luke refers to the Sabbath the most out of any of the Gospels. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus drives out a demon or a spirit on the Sabbath. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus heals a man's shriveled hand on the Sabbath. And then today in Luke chapter 13 and 14, Jesus heals this crippled woman on the Sabbath and again heals this man on the Sabbath. In many of the cases when Jesus performs a miracle on the Sabbath, the religious leaders around him are very frustrated and angry that he's working on the Sabbath. When he heals the shriveled hand in chapter 6, it says, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. And then we read in chapter 13 today that the synagogue leader was indignant. And then in chapter 14, we read that the leaders were watching Jesus closely, but they were silent. And I imagine they were silent on the outside and kind of fuming with frustration on the inside at what Jesus continually did to upset what they considered the law of the prophets. In many of the cases when Jesus does these miracles, the Pharisees are trying to figure out how they can stop the spread of Jesus' ministry and Jesus' message. They were trying to set traps to discredit Jesus to show that he is not the perfect teacher and rabbi that all of his followers assumed him to be. So we go back to the text. We know it's the Sabbath. We see in chapter 13 that he's teaching on a Sabbath. Jesus is teaching on a Sabbath in the synagogue. And so because we know that he's teaching there, we can assume the religious leaders are around watching him. In chapter 14, it says that the, the leaders, the Pharisees and the religious, the religious leaders in, at that dinner party were watching him closely. The literal translation was that they were watching him surreptitiously or ominously. Personally, when I see both of these stories, I imagine 
the leaders kind of back in a dark corner just waiting for Jesus to act so that they can jump out and reveal that he's, he has a fault and that he's wrong and that all the people following him would, would be aware. They're kind of ominously orchestrating this whole thing so that Jesus fails in front of everyone. And I, th- I also think that Jesus fully is aware of what they are doing in the room. I think he's aware that they're trying to trap him. Yet he continues to heal and he continues to upset the cultural norms to fulfill the mission that he had come to fulfill. As he, plan- as he planned to do the whole time, Jesus was not and is not deterred by the pressures that the leadership was putting on him. For this reason and many others, I find myself more and more in love with the life, ministry, uh, and direction of Jesus. I mean, I've had a relationship with Jesus for the majority of my life, and I always remember hearing that he had this revolutionary lifestyle. But when, you, when I read stories like today's and see him in a position where he could have flexed a little bit and not upset the leaders, he still steps forward to fulfill the mission and the vision that he had come to the kingdom advancement that he had come to to bring. It gives me a renewed sense of what a disciple of Jesus truly looks like and what it means to follow after and seek to be an ambassador of Christ, even in difficult spaces where you don't agree or where the leadership is pushing, putting pressure on you. Jesus was not afraid to stand up for what was right, and I feel that I and we are called to do the same in our ministries. So as I stated earlier, the culture that Jesus was existing in was very concerned about the status that they had and the status of those around them. And so when we read the story and we see that there's this man and this woman with a disability in the public center, that draws our attention into the story, knowing that something is amiss. Generally, it would be accepted that this woman would, be a, would maybe beg outside of the synagogue with her disability and the people would pass her on the way into the synagogue. But this man would have never been invited into a prominent Pharisee's dinner party. That just wasn't, the way status and culture worked, he would have never been invited into the party unless there was an ulterior motive from the leaders for his presence there. You see, Jesus knows that observance of the Sabbath was intended by the Father as a gift for rest and restoration. Jesus knows this, and he wants the room to know this as well, that Sabbath rest was intended to bring wholeness to both individuals and to the broader community. Jesus wanted the people in the room to know this. When Jesus asked them in both stories if caring for an animal or a child on the Sabbath, uh, if if they would do that, they're, they're humbled in silence because they know that For the wholeness of their community and their family, they would care for their child and the ox on a Sabbath, regardless if it was the Sabbath or not. And so Jesus is showing the parallel to caring for this woman and this man with their own oppression on the Sabbath. The leaders in both stories understood their role as maintaining proper observance of the laws as they understood them. This includes proper observance of the Sabbath. The leaders were so caught up in the rule-following framework that they were not able to celebrate, truly celebrate, that this woman and this man had their oppression lifted from them in their presence. In both stories, Jesus touches the sick person, heals them, and sends them on their way. And personally, I'm a little 
I, I wish there was more dialogue with this man and this woman post their healing because I would love to hear their story and what it meant for them to be truly freed from their uh, oppression. But I think Jesus sends them on their way so that they don't have to deal with the awkwardness of the teaching that he's about to teach to the leaders in the synagogue and at this dinner party. These two stories are concrete examples of Jesus fulfilling his mission to the world. Jesus was, came to bring liberation and restoration to all people. For this woman and this man, Jesus is liberating them from their illness, from the spirit that is oppressing them, and also restores them into the community at large. In both stories, Jesus brings these people into the focal point of the story. The woman was in the back and he brings her into the front where he is teaching to symbolize and show that she is being restored into the broader community. Jesus embraces this man in Luke chapter 14 to show that he is fully brought back into the community. What we can learn from these Sabbath healings is that Jesus and his followers, for us, the concern for the suffering of our fellow human beings takes precedent over the obligations related to keeping the Sabbath. So what does it mean for us today in a broader sense? We read through both stories in Luke's Gospel and we see many things in the story that we could probably glean as uh, an invitation for action. We see people who are not always welcomed into community, fully welcomed into the center of the story, embraced and healed and sent on their way. This holy embrace brings healing and reconciliation to both lives. The holy embrace brings restoration to the community that just moments before barriers existed all around them. So I think an easy takeaway from both stories is the encouragement for all of us to seek to follow Jesus and how we welcome people into the church and into a relationship with Christ. May we seek going forth to replicate Jesus in this welcoming way. But from my perspective, this is the easier of the two reflections I have for this morning. On a slightly more challenging note, we see these religious leaders reprimanding Jesus for the healings that took place in their presence. For me, it's easy to see the positive outcome of Jesus' behavior in healing both of these people and sending them on their way. And it's easy for me to have a negative uh, perception of the religious leaders around him that seem like they're trying to trap Jesus and stop him from healing the people. At ECC of Lafayette, where I'm a pastor, we have a, a relational covenant that we read before all of our meetings. It's a covenant that reminds us of how we have covenanted together to behave and relate to one another when things are not easy, when things are difficult, and when things are great. One of the, one of the bullet points that we read before all these meetings is that we will assume the best of one another. And sometimes, like I said, it's very easy to do, and sometimes it is uh, a bit more difficult. But nonetheless, we seek to assume the best of one another in all of our interactions. In today's story, I find it difficult to assume the best of the religious leaders. As I seek to be faithful to our relational covenant as I read the scripture, as I, if I put myself into the story... I feel so negatively about their behavior, but I have the full story. I know who Jesus is. I know the aftermath of these healings, and I know the resurrection and the life 
after that. Like I have the full context of the story. If I truly give them the benefit of the doubt, though, in both stories it appears to me that the religious leaders are just seeking to maintain the law and the, the scriptures that they have devoted their life to. They understand that what Jesus is teaching and doing doesn't align with how they understand the scripture and the law. And so I can, I can be frustrated at their behavior because they're standing against Jesus, but I can also relate with their seeking to protect the religion and their faith. Maybe they're seeking to protect the church because these new ideas that Jesus is spreading does not align with their interpretation of the Scriptures. As St. Augustine reflects on the healing of the woman in chapter 13 at the synagogue, he said the synagogue re- uh, official's response, Augustine says this, the chief of the synagogue stands as one who does not understand the meaning of the Sabbath, for he takes it literally and not spiritually. You see, in taking the Sabbath literally, he's trying to maintain order and he addresses the people after Jesus heals the woman. He doesn't address Jesus, he goes right to the people and addresses them to say what Jesus is doing right now is contrary to the law on the Sabbath. And so he's addressing the people to reassert himself as the official interpreter of the Scriptures. But if we assume the best of the synagogue official, we assume he's worried about the direction of the church. Maybe he's anxious that Jesus is leading people in a direction that is counter to the holy scriptures that he has committed his whole life to. When I assume the best of the leader, I begin to see his anxiety and his concern for what's happening inside the synagogue where he is the official. When I assume the best, my heart starts to soften a little bit. And it even feels for this synagogue official in his address to the people. I then thank God that I know the whole story. I thank God that even with this misguided opposition in 13 and in chapter 14, the mission of the church bursts forth and continues to transform lives and change the world. And I thank God that even with this opposition, Jesus brought healing and wholeness to this woman and to this man. Another part of our relational covenant that I find encouragement in today's text is that toward the end of our relational covenant we read, we believe God can use imperfect people and imperfect decisions to accomplish his perfect will. You see, we believe that God can take our faithfulness and further his mission, the mission of the Big C Church, even though we are imperfect and often misguided. In today's story, Jesus accomplishes his perfect will despite the intentions of the leadership and despite the imperfect judgment from the leadership. Although the first takeaway is merited and right that we should seek to be a welcoming church, bringing people into the fold of the kingdom, helping people deepen their relationship with Christ, I'm also encouraged by this second reflection that God can use us as imperfect people to accomplish his perfect will. That even in our imperfection, there is enough goodness in the Spirit to further the kingdom. When I seek to enter into these two stories, I see conflict and tension that exists within the church. 
I see passionate people on both sides seeking to further the mission, to further the kingdom of God and disagreeing about the best way to move forward. I see frustration and anger, and yet I see the Spirit continuing to work in and through those dialogues. I see Jesus, and I see the glorious healing of people, and I see the kingdom advancing even with these stumbling blocks. When I seek to enter into these two stories, I see common elements in my own church experience. <clears throat> I think about difficult church meetings that I've had been a part <clears throat> been a part of both in Michigan, Illinois, and Indiana. I see the passionate faces of church elders and young people in the church disagreeing about the proper direction for the church to move forward. I see fellow believers seeking to follow after the will of God and being at odds with one another. I see di similar disagreements about the best way to move forward, and yet the Spirit continues to work in and through each in every one of those congregations. I'm convinced that even when there is conflict and tension in the church, God can and will work through and accomplish the mission that he has come to accomplish. In all of those churches, I still see communities being transformed. I still see lives being saved. I still see people being healed. And I see people deepening their relationship with Jesus despite the disagreement that happened in the sanctuary or in the corporate meeting. In verse 18 of chapter 13, right after Jesus heals the woman in the synagogue, verse 18 reads, uh, it says, Therefore, Jesus asks, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall we compare it to? Jesus said, It's like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his garden, it grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in the branches. The therefore in verse 18 demands that we read it as a part of this healing narrative found in 13. Jesus, I'm not sure what Jesus is trying to compare to the mustard seed, but in the grand scheme of things, there was still a healing in the synagogue and there's still movement in the mission of Jesus still moved forward from that scene. In the grand scheme of, <clears throat> scheme of things, even if only a mustard seed, wow, is in alignment with the Spirit, there's still hope in the future of the movement. The encouragement I find in these stories is that although the leaders were misdirected in their ministry, and although we often discredit their ministry, God is still faithful and can still accomplish far more than we could ever ask or imagine. The Apostle Paul says that we serve a God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. When I sit with these two stories, I find myself wondering what continued kingdom impact this man and this woman had who were healed way back when. How is God still influencing the kingdom today? Maybe these healings were orchestrated by the religious leaders in an attempt to trap Jesus because the leaders were fearful of the impact that Jesus was having on the movement at large. But orchestrated or not, there were lives transformed and they were sent on their way to further transform the kingdom of God. 
Maybe their healing was the mustard seed being planted in the soil that day. I wonder today what mustard seeds are being planted in our ministries, both at ECC and at Riverside and in our individual lives. Life and ministry during this pandemic is exhausting. We're carrying more weight than we ever have carried before. Trying to navigate all that the world is dealing with has taken a toll on each and every one of us. But today I choose to rest in the hope that mustard seeds are still being planted in the midst of the difficult time. That even if we can't see the kingdom advancing because we're carrying such a heavy load, we can rest in the good news that Christ still dwells within each of us, that we still live in the unshakable kingdom of God, and that the kingdom is not in trouble and neither are we. And that if we seek to let the Holy Spirit continue to work through us, mustard seeds will continue to be planted and the kingdom will continue beyond these difficult times as well. Will you pray with me? Good and loving God, let us be compelled to follow Jesus' lead and share your love with everyone around us. Let us be so overwhelmed by your blessings that we can't help but share them. Let us be compelled to open our safe spaces to those in need of a safe space. Let us make room at the table to enter into sacred relationships. Let us find hope in the work of redemption that is happening all around us. Lord, give us eyes to see the mustard seeds of faith growing in your kingdom. And remind us and give us the ability to assume the best of our brothers and sisters. And give us hope to know that even if we disagree, you are still at work accomplishing your will through our imperfect efforts. It's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that I pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Will you stand and receive the benediction? Go forth now, seeking to live fully as ambassadors of Christ, spreading the good news, inviting people into community, knowing that God is still good and is still at work in and through our imperfect beings. Go in peace.